Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. It sort of reminds me a little bit of kind of what we've seen actually out of the SEC where, or, or, or frankly, the CPC as far as U.S. civil matters go, where really the, the lesson that I feel like keeps, keeps uh, continues to be learned is you can break the law if you get really big and you have a giant war chest and then you can use it to go fight. And that that is a very bad lesson. And I think that that runs very counter to what we want our laws to signal. But that is kind of what we see in terms of enforcement action. So um, I think it's, it's kind of disappointing in that way. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two fun. Now your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, um, unnamed trading know. firms who are very involved. Um, I like that ETH is the ultimate possible. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So quick intros. First, we got Tom, the DeFi maven and master of memes. Hi, everyone. Next, we got Robert, the crypto connoisseur and czar of Superstate. GM, everybody. And then we've got Tarun, the gigabrain and grand poobah at Gauntlet. Aloha. And finally, I'm Steve, the head hype man at Dragonfly. So we are early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Please see choppingblock.xyz for more disclosures. So gentlemen, it's been another crazy week. In particular, today is Tuesday, November 21st, and today is the day we have all been waiting for. There finally has been a settlement between Binance and the U.S. government over mm. almost all of the charges that have, have been filed we, against Binance. Have we all been waiting for this? I think yeah. the entire industry yeah. has been waiting for this hammer to fall. Like, I mean, I, I, know, I know a lot of people, I, a lot of LPs that I talk to are like, what's going to happen with Binance? You know, when, is, when are we going to get clarity on the thing? This is the big one for sure. This is like, okay, Binance can now wash its hands and move forward into kind of the post bad boy era, presumably. I mean, you, you, you never know. So let me, let me give you high level what happened. So uh, some of you may remember the CFTC and SEC filed suits against Binance in the summer. And we knew from the CFTC lawsuit in particular that Binance did a lot of bad things. And many of those bad things are criminal, such as sanctions violations and uh, money laundering and all this, this sort of stuff that it's, it's really not a civil violation. This is really criminal stuff that the CFTC was digging up that Binance was participating in. So we knew that there was a longstanding investigation into Binance from the DOJ. And there had been a lot of different leaks about how the DOJ was thinking about actually bringing this case to bear. Uh, and now we finally have the resolution of that case. So CZ flew to Seattle from Abu Dhabi, where he was residing, which of course, Abu Dhabi does not have an extradition treaty with the US, uh, but he voluntarily came to the US in order to face these charges. So the charges are that Binance is gonna pay a total of $4.3 billion in fines and restitution. This is a massive fine. So just to, for a sense of scale, uh, Purdue, which was the company that was uh, ultimately prosecuted for all the bad opioid prescriptions they were writing, was charged $5.5 billion. Binance is charged $4.3 billion. This is an incredibly large fine. CZ is barred from any involvement in Binance's businesses for three years. And there's a bunch of changes to compliance and stuff like that. This resolves Binance's charges that they'd be facing from FinCEN, OFAC, and the CFTC. Uh, notably, the SEC is not on this list. 
So the SEC is still going to be pursuing their cases against Binance and still saying that stuff that Binance is doing is bad and wrong and evil. Um, CZ is stepping down as CEO, obviously, and is being replaced now by Richard Tang, who is going to be the new CEO of Binance um, going forward, or at least for a little bit. And uh, the, the DOJ basically uh, detailed some of the things of which Binance was accused. One of them is there was over $900 million that uh, U.S. users end up sending to uh, Iranian users, which of course is a sanctioned violation. There are also sanctions violations to Syria, as well as Crimea and some of the other areas that are otherwise under sanctions. Uh, there was also over $100 million from Hydra, which is a Russian dark, dark web platform, as well as a bunch of money being sent back and forth from mixers. So sanctions violations, money laundering, and willfully bringing on U.S. customers, which we already knew from the CFTC lawsuit. So CZ is out. He's basically said that, hey, I'm, I'm no longer going to be running companies or doing anything like that. He sort of, he sort of he wrote a, a tweet, a very long tweet that sort of sounded like his retirement speech, where he's like, hey, guys, look, I made some mistakes. Uh, I don't think anybody in the industry actually thinks he made mistakes. I think in the, people in the industry were kind of cheering him on. But um, for the most part, he's like, look, I made some mistakes. I've, I've had my run. It's been really incredible. Did something's right. Did something's wrong. Uh, I'm probably going to step back, take a vacation, chill a bit, and uh, maybe, you know, do some investments in DeFi and kind of be, uh, you know, an elder statesman of the industry, more or less. Uh, so it kind of sounds like he's imagining himself in an Arthur Hayes kind of trajectory. And from the way he was describing it, it sort of implied that he doesn't expect to face jail time. Now, it's not clear from the settlement whether or not he will be facing jail time. But it seems to be implied by the way this is all being handled and the fact that he came to Seattle, is paying this massive fine, that probably he's going to either get a very small sentence or he's not going to face any jail time at all, much like Arthur Hayes. So I will pause there. Thoughts on the Binance settlement? Most important thing is we know he's really retired if, like Arthur Hayes, he comes on the show. Yeah, that's a good point. CZ, if you're listening, come on the chopping block. We'd love to have you. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get too far in the, the nitty gritty. We're just going to ask you about your DeFi investments and see if you're going to be, if you're going to be able to beat Justin Sun in terms of on-chain valor and and ai he threw ai in there just for good measure so you never know what's easy AI, cooking biotech up. Yeah. how can you not do ai yeah um on the jail time bit i i was initially also under the, this impression um but there was a new story that came out basically cz has waived his right to an appeal um if his jail time or probation time is under 18 months um, so there is still a window but i assume it's pretty nailed down at this point otherwise i don't know why he would to, the, to uh, the U.S. to sort of uh, face these charges. But, I mean, on face value, it seems like kind of a win-win uh, for everybody. Like, very, very minimal jail time. I think they can pay this balance uh, or this, this fine off the balance sheet pretty much. The U.S., hey, Binance is now in compliance. They get all the Binance data and all the user activity. It, it seems kind of, like, great for, for both parties. Um, the other hand, though, you know, it, it does kind of make me question... Like I, I guess, like BSA and 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 sort of KYC AML, the whole regime overall. Like, like why why is it that for some you know federal crimes you can pay a fine and get out of it, and, and some you can't? It seems overall a bit silly, and I feel like they trumped up actually a lot of the way they represented these charges. I mean, there's an article about saying, oh, you know, Hamas was using Binance, and I think they alluded to it in the thing, or you know, even the the nine hundred million dollar Iranian thing. It's not like those are all. Iranian officials that were trading with U.S. users, presumably such some much smaller percentage. So, you know, sure, at face value, it seems great. But I, I don't know. It just kind of makes me question, like, you know, what, what are we really doing here? Like, like who is being protected? What, what is sort of the point of, of uh, this interaction? 
Well, I'll take the opposite side of this. And I'm going to take at face value everything that was in the charges, everything that was discussed at the press conference, everything that's been, you know, presented as evidence so far. You know, one of the things that was said is that there's basically a consistent and repeated series of egregious violations when it comes to AML and moving of money on behalf of people that are not supposed to be moving money, right? You know, Binance got its start way back in the day. I remember it was like, oh, anyone can sign up. There's like no KYC, like put every asset you want into Binance and take out any other asset. No one's going to know. And it got its start with, you know, basically, you know, a wild west approach to allowing people to trade. And they never really dropped that approach. You know, obviously they sensationalized a lot of the violations like, oh, it was a terrorist group. Oh, it was drug cartels. Oh, you know, they joked around about AK-47s and like all of these things. But they basically never really tried to prevent bad actors, so to speak, from using their exchange. Like, I don't, it doesn't seem like there was ever, you know, a proactive approach. They joked around about how they weren't being proactive and they don't want to be. And it was core to Binance, the business model, to let anybody use it, you know, including, you know, and the degree matters and the magnitude matters and the impact on the world matters to your point, Tom, but really including people that are very obviously the bad guys, right? And I agree, it's possible that it wasn't like, you know, unilaterally like allowing people to, you know, create terrorist groups or whatever, but it certainly was directionally on the wrong side. And not just on the wrong side once, but like on the wrong side repeatedly and on an ongoing basis for, you know, six years. And one fact I actually found most interesting, you know, I, th I think it was Janet Yellen who said this at the press conference, might have been someone else, you know, Binance never once filed a single suspicious transaction report. Seeing the largest, you know, hacks move assets to Binance, seeing the largest flows of funds in the history of crypto, you know, nothing once ever was considered suspicious to them. They never once filed a suspicious activity report. They just didn't, so to speak, want to crack down on nefarious uses of their platform. And that's very different than like accidentally letting something bad through. You know, they've really repeatedly turned a blind eye. And I think, you know, that's what's the driving force behind the US government wanting to crack down on them. And I think they're doing it to send a message. And I think all in all, it's probably a good thing that Binance is charged and has settled the charges, both, you know, as you said, for the government, for Binance, for the industry. So yeah, Robert, I, I, I more or less agree with you. I think this is unequivocally good outcome for the industry. It's good for Binance that we knew that, you know, Binance knew this was coming. There was no fucking way after that CFTC lawsuit that this is not the logical next step. And getting a settlement that basically says, look, you pay, you know, that's probably like one to maybe one and a half years worth of profit for Binance, if I had to guess. You pay a one and a half year speeding ticket, but you basically get to keep the proceeds of all of the last six years and you, and you get to move on and now you're off scot-free. That's a pretty good deal, I think, for Binance. For CZ, I don't know. Uh, it really depends on whether or not he faces jail time and the nature of that jail time. I would also say, you know, moderating a bit on that perspective, I think it's also important to appreciate that, look, Binance is an international company. And I think there is a big difference between the sanctions violations and the dark net market mixers and, you know, kind of criminal activity stuff. Um, you know, not filing a suspicious activity report. Suspicious activity reports are an American thing. And Binance has always taken the view obviously somewhat, you know, kind of speaking out of one side of its mouth, that it doesn't serve the U.S. Now, obviously, it was being very, very cute about what that meant. But 
Uh, nominally, at least, it does make sense that a company that claims it doesn't operate in the U.S. and has no ties to the U.S. would not be filing suspicious activity reports with the U.S. government. But it very clearly operated in it the did, U.S. It did, right? So that, that, I think, very clearly it deserves a slap in the face. The sanctions violations, I think, are interesting because, of course, Binance was founded originally in China and eventually moved to Hong Kong and then eventually moved to Singapore and then eventually moved to, to, to UAE. Um, you know, China and Iran are allies, right? So obviously China does not acknowledge the sanctions on Iran as binding on China. Um, and so it is, it is kind of a weird thing when you think about it that like when Binance was actually founded, they might actually think that, well, you know, Iranians are not sanctioned as far as we can, you know, as far as I, I mean, I don't do business with in America. And so from my perspective, like I'm not in violation of anyone's rules when I do this. Now, the, the reason why, and this is kind of the real politique of it, is that when you touch American users, now you are in America's jurisdiction, whether you like it or not. And one way or another, we own the high seas of the internet. So if America doesn't like something, they can take down a domain name, they can shut down your DNS uh, connections, they can cut off your Google access. Like more or less, America runs the internet. And so once you touch American users and we establish jurisdiction, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's our game now. Yeah, maybe I want to hear Tarun's uh, perspective and maybe just one point of clarification. I don't, I don't disagree that they definitely violated U.S. sanctions. And I think they were pretty flagrant in just how negligent and, and, and sort of uh, carefree they were with respect to knowledge of bad actors using the platform. But I think I, I really took issue with the way they were presenting this as, you know, this was sort of a disgorgement of profits from doing that. That wasn't the point. Like, that's not where Binance makes money, right? Binance doesn't make money for by laundering money for Hamas. Um, that's incidental. That, that's you know a very, 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 very small percentage of their total volume and fees. And so I, it, it kind of feels like, um, hey, you know, you have this this you know very, very small percentage of, of bad activity on the platform, and we're going to take down the whole thing just because of it. And I, I really just don't uh, agree with that. I mean, look, they, they clearly they made. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't actually how they do the math on the four billion, and sometimes they end up kind of giving this convoluted explanation of why this is the number, um, but. Th- it's very clear that a lot of their revenue came from U.S. users. And that, I think, is probably – if there was a place where a giant number comes from, that's probably it. It would not surprise me if they've made you know, uh, several billion from, from U.S. users over the course of their history. And, of course, you want to do something punitive. I don't know if it's quite punitive enough to be a really you know, actual strong impediment to the next person who wants to build Binance. But this one, at least, you know, I think it's uh, – it, it seems – in the territory of reasonable, it, it, it may be a bit small, honestly, for what Binance should be paying for how much they were kind of railroading and breaking U.S. laws. Well, I, I think it was actually a quite significant penalty. Um, I read one tweet recently that looked at, based on Binance's self-reported proof of reserves and the assets on hand and their own statements, based on that, you know, they were able to unearth the number that Binance had approximately like $6.5 billion of crypto assets on hand that belong to Binance, not to customers. And so if you take that number at face value and you say, well, Binance's balance sheet has an extra six and a half billion dollars on it, you know, a $4 billion penalty is basically two thirds of their non-customer liability balance sheet. And that's significant, right? It's the seventh largest fine in financial history, but it could be like two thirds of what they have available. Right. When JP Morgan gets fined $10 billion, it's more of a drop in the ocean because they might have, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. And so, you know, just putting in perspective, I actually think it's quite significant based on the size of the entity. But maybe you're right. Maybe it's small for some other reason. I think you have to look historically and 
you know, non non crypto assets as 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 well. I, I think again, it's it's you know, obviously this is uh, DOJ, this is CPC, but um, it sort of reminds me a little bit of kind of what we've seen actually out of the SEC, where or or, or frankly the, the CPC as far as U.S. civil matters go, where really the the lesson that I feel like keeps keeps uh, continues to be learned is you can break the law if you get really big and you have a giant war chest and then you can use it to go fight. And that that is a very bad lesson. And I think that that runs very counter to what we want our laws to signal. But that is kind of what we see in terms of enforcement action. So um, I think it's, it's kind of disappointing in that way. I think that is a kind of a law of the jungle that's unlikely to change. Um, and I don't think, I think, I mean, I don't understand international prosecutions well enough to know kind of what are the levers that Binance has, but very clearly they've hired some of the best legal teams in the world. Everyone's been saying that now for, for years, that they have an incredible bench. And those people are probably making it very difficult for the DOJ to be able to extract quite the win they might otherwise want uh, short of money. Now, Robert, you made the point that like, look, relative to their balance sheet, that's a huge chunk of flesh that they're taking. But of course, like they, you know, the, the, what's on the balance sheet is just the retained earnings they haven't dividended out or bought and burned BNB with or whatever. And so the, the earnings they have from prior years that they get vanished from the balance sheet because they already paid themselves, uh, that CZ already has personally or other shareholders have personally, um, you know, that money feels like the right denominator, not the money on the balance sheet. So the profits they've made over the last few years is a lot more than $6 billion. That, That's a fair point. And one of the things that, you know, comes up a lot is that Binance seems to own like half the entities in crypto where his name's at the top of the, <laughs> the cap table. And so like, you know, even outside of Binance, he's been able to use that position to, you know, create a huge ownership structure. Yeah, Tarun, we, you've been pretty quiet on this. What's what's your what's your thoughts on this whole? Again, maybe this is just like a little too boring for my taste, but um, personally, because I, at some level, I, I have a lot of sympathy for this argument that the U.S. sanctions didn't tech, probably shouldn't have applied to like the 2017. Like, I agree that the U.S. is very good at finding ways to forcibly put you into their regime, but I I I I, I can see some. You know, I think the most recent stuff, all the signal messages, that that stuff is like, well, okay, obviously they clearly are making mistakes. I think another thing I find kind of interesting about this, and this is more of, in my mind, a bug in the U.S. legal system versus a bug about finance, is that like there's no liability for any of the U.S. market makers who were the U.S. users using them. It's like not a very symmetric liability structure, right? Wait, why should there be liability for the U.S. market makers? Well, I mean, arguably, they're sort of like, in, in, in the case of like how they're getting remunerated, they're sort of earning implicitly Binance equity, well, equity-like instruments via BNB. And they actively know they're participating in this. And I feel like they actually have some fault themselves. I, I, I'm not trying to be some some like Binance stan here. Like they obviously made mistakes, <laughs> and I think they deserve CZ deserves a penalty. Yeah, it should really but yeah it should really be I, the market I, makers I just on sort the stand. Of, well, I just think the market makers knew what they're doing too. Like like, and it, it it's sort of weird to me that they have zero liability. I guess like Blander slash Radix trading firm number one from the original thing. I know they've had issues and that Jump obviously has had their legal stuff with the head of Jump Crypto being deposed a couple weeks ago. But it does feel like it should be more symmetric to me in some ways. Like maybe the penalty should apply to them too versus strictly the venues. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it's just like to me, it, it always seemed a little bit weird that the 
the market makers kind of got to get off scot-free because like a lot of them got warnings. <laughs> they still stayed on there. They, I mean, that, I, that, that seems uh, a little extreme. And it, it sounds a little bit sort of collective. Guilty. I don't know. I mean, th- those were those were clearly the people who the U.S. was going after, right? Because they're like, "Oh, you tried to block U.S. users, but you didn't block these U.S. market makers." And right, I mean, generally the perspective, yeah, look, fine. Generally, the perspective that the government takes, which I think is the right one, is that like it's like for example, when uh, this this was a thing when back when I used to be a professional poker player, is it's illegal to offer gambling services to Americans but it's not illegal for an American to gamble. Like as an American, you can gamble whenever you want. The person who is liable for the- No, no, I, I think for, for in, in three, this is, this is a tripartite market. This is not just a, a gambler in the house, right? This is, I have the market makers who are incentivized by the house and technically are earning in this, in the case of BNB, they're earning equity-like structures mm. of the entity. Then there's the equity holders of Binance and the exchange itself. And then there's the traders. In the tripartite structure, the market makers are sort of in the middle. And I actually think they fundamentally own some liability, too. I know our legal sure. okay. Okay. structure. Okay. So to the extent that the equity holders of Binance were hurt because Binance is paying this big fine, to an extent, BNB holders were also hurt because BNB went down. It didn't go down that much, but it went down. I think it went down like five percent or less. I mean, very mildly. I think like nine percent. Nine percent. Okay, so it went down. You know, it went down quite significantly. So you could argue that okay, by some proxy, to the extent that they were quote unquote equity holders or pseudo equity holders, they incurred the same harm that equity holders might otherwise have. But of course, individual equity holders are not held liable, right? If you own stock of some company that did a bad thing, for sure, you don't have no, any no, collective for, for, for sure. guilt. I, I just, I just, I just find this the, this relationship of like. The U.S. market makers, who are the reason that say the the stuff about sort of violating Iran sanctions happened, is because there were U.S. market makers who maybe took the other side of those trades without knowing who they were, right? Because they don't know the identity of the other side. In some sense, I, I I think that they sort of act as a convenient way. You know, for them, it's a little too convenient that they get to get out of it. It, it, it does feel like they really do own some liability in this. You ever traded on Binance? I've never marketed okay. on Binance. You've, but you've traded on Binance. So your counterparty may have been an Iranian before, or may have been... Before they, before they blocked U.S. Before right, they blocked right. US and so you, you must have known at that time that like, okay, it's kind of Wild Westy. You know, you never know who's on the other side of it. But like... But there was never, there was never guidance that said you can't well, of course use it. There. I mean, there's guidance that like you should not be interacting in any way with a sanctioned individual, right? So you can never be exchanging money with an Iranian or with somebody from... I, 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 again, I, I, I agree with that. But I, I think if you think about... Let, let's say you look at a US exchange, market makers have to go through basically a whitelisting process for a lot of exchanges where like they have to go through more right right sort of i mean look I, 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 I agree with you insofar as as a regulated market maker you're, you're known to the C- sec you're known to the cftc you're a regulated market participant you have higher compliance obligations and burdens and you should have more knowledge of these things than the average bear right that for sure is true uh, anyway so i, I mean it's, it's it's a question of uh, degree as well right I, i'm sure there are some market makers who are very close with binance and knew a lot more than other market makers who were just kind of like, well, you know, they've sort of cleaned up, I assume, and so on and so forth. They did KYC on us, so I assume they did KYC on everyone else, uh, which obviously they were not doing, but uh, or they were doing and ignoring. It, you know, it's hard to say. I just, I, I just kind of agree with Tom's perspective that, like, clearly there is a lot that went bad. This clearly is not that big of a punitive measure in some ways. Maybe the CZ has to 
post bail or whatever it might be slightly the you know the fact that he had to go to Seattle I think was quite surprising to me. I actually thought it would be Seattle's like, the punishment. <laughs> yeah. Wait, is he is he staying in Seattle or is he just there for like the whole No, no, he just got he only he apparently only just got the bond posted now. He had to post 175 million. Oh wow. Okay, interesting. He has to come back for sentencing. He hasn't been sentenced right, right, right. yet. So, so, so it's not clear what it's not clear what the the actual end when you when you post is. a bond, you can't leave the country, right? So he has to like chill in the U.S. No, he got approval to go to the UAE, but oh, he has he to be back in the U.S. fourteen full two weeks before. Again, I'm not I'm not trying to say like there's no flaw, fault to finance, but I I just think there's some American entities who probably in my mind, having interacted with them over the last years. I feel like they were just as complicit. Well, it's clear they're too in the in a, like DCG in a DCG like way. Yeah. You know, they're like like they they had they have they they would talk about things in a way that I'm like, okay, you're basically complicit. Also, it seems like there are two big categories of reactions that I'm seeing, even hearing from from the four of us. One category of reaction is, you know, like look, what did you expect? Of course, this was happening. You know, it was like the Wild West era, and you know, it's kind of let bygones be bygones. Everyone's grown up now. We're all adults now, and people aren't going to do that again. And they sort of see CZ as like, look, he never stole money, he never took customer funds, he never like broke the piggy bank. He's very different from Sam. So this is all kind of like it, it's it's almost like pseudo heroic of like, oh look, actually somehow the skeletons in the closet. It's like, oh, you know, a little bit of darknet markets and stuff, but like, you know, you're going to have that. And then there's a, probably another category of people who, is like, who are looking at this and saying, finally, we're cleaning up the scum. You know, the industry is getting uh, moving past its infancy. And this is you know, really good for everyone that finally we're, we're um, institutionalizing yeah, the space. Yeah, I, I, saw, I, saw, I saw a hilarious meme today, which was like, crypto Twitter. All right, finally, it's cleaned up. It's going to be bullish, boys. We're only going to the moon, right? And then the next panel was like, everyone not in crypto. And it was like this, like guy crying in horror, you know, <laughs> over the Binance yeah. case, like being like the two interpretations. Are- right, right, exactly. Um, so here's here's then the natural question: the CZ era is over. CZ is going to take a step back. He's no longer the captain of the industry. What do you think this changes for the industry going forward? I think if there's not the perception that the largest exchange on earth is crooked, or breaking the law, and that's not the going perception, I think it's a huge service to crypto on the whole and the industry. I think the arguments against a spot Bitcoin ETF and the dark, cloudy spot markets is reduced. I think in general, by cleaning out you know, the concerns that the US has about Binance, it puts everything on a good foundation going forward. If all that's left are the good actors like Coinbase and exchanges that are reformed and chastised and cleaned up like Binance, then anything that's left, I think, is like default good instead of default bad. And I think that actually is really powerful and I think is you know a starting place for the continued growth of the industry as a whole. And I think it's going to be a positive. So I'm really excited to see Binance cleaned up personally. Tom, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, this was kind of the big overhang I think everyone was kind of kind of worried about, and I agree. I think it it also kind of uh, imperiled the um, ETF applications, and now it feels like you know the path is clear. Uh, there's not really any sort of big overhangs or big worries or uh, some you know mysterious <coughs> tether. <coughs> tether. 
in time, in time. Uh, you know, mysterious black orb in the corner somewhere that we, we pretend doesn't exist. I'm willing to take the other side. Yeah, this, this is this is like perfect tether. crypto selective blindness. Is like, oh, everything is yeah. good now. There's yeah, nothing yeah. else weird or shady. I, when I went to yeah. Turkey, I went to Turkey for an Ethereum conference last week. In Turkey, literally every corner is an FX store, and there's only one currency that's uniform at every FX store. It is at every FX store, other than Turkish Lira, is USDT Tron. Everywhere in the city, I paid for coffee for the first time with a stable coin. I generally think stable coins are useless in person in the US because, like, the US system just doesn't, you know, like everyone just uses Apple Pay or whatever. But, you know, you're in Turkey. I mean, I, I paid too many transaction fees because the bridges from ETH to Tron are horrible. And I've never used Tron until this moment. But once I got to Tron, I just paid for at least five sandwiches and coffees and a beer over like the week. Uh, and it it is actually used and people there treat it. I asked people, I was like, well, would you take USDC? And they were like, fuck no. After the DPEG, we'll never use that shit. And they said it in like, aggressive language they didn't say it in kind of like oh we don't like usdc like it was, i was actually surprised at how much they disliked usdc during the dpay and it was like the february march stuff that's really stuck in their brain uh and they're like tether's reliable I, and, and look like there are all the problems with tether but the fact that there's you know a capital city you can like spend tether as if it's you know the better almost as easily as a local currency is was wild to me yeah, that that's a that's a very good point, and it's something that I've often tried to uh, emphasize to a lot of people who think stablecoins and crypto and all this stuff is like kind of worthless. Is that if you step outside the U.S., it becomes very very clear what is so interesting and compelling about creating this, you know, uh, financial rails that are totally untethered from traditional banks. And it's yeah, places like Turkey, Turkey, I think right now in the within the Middle East, it's like the number one biggest market for crypto in the Middle East in large part because of the volatility of the Lira. So that has driven more and more people into the arms of crypto. Um, so I've, I've heard a lot of similar stories um, and other places in LATAM and in um, parts of Southeast Asia as well, where there's a lot of penetration of Tron USDT. I mean, Istanbul was actually, is the first like very large city I've been to, like other than Buenos Aires, where I, you know, it was like almost ubiquitous. It felt like, you know, 50% of the, coffee shops and stuff too. Mm. Interesting. Okay, so let's move on real quick in the interest of time. So there's a, another story that's dropped just a couple of days ago, which is a lawsuit from the SEC against Kraken. So this lawsuit is more or less a copy and paste of the Coinbase lawsuit. So unregistered securities exchange, broker dealer, blah, 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 clearing agency, all this stuff. And that there's a bunch of securities on the platform and the securities are the exact same ones they listed in the Coinbase case of Solana and Falcon and so on and so forth. So there's not a lot... I think in this case, that's interesting or even particularly informative about the SEC, other than that the SEC is continuing this campaign of regulation via enforcement. Kraken, thankfully, is is willing to throw down the gauntlet and fight this one. Uh, if you recall, they were sued before by the SEC over their staking program. This one, I think, is more existential in nature, much like the Coinbase case. Uh, the Coinbase case right now seems to be, you know, the market is handicapping Coinbase to be favored to win that case. Uh, and presumably, if the Coinbase case resolves in their favor, that may also be true for Kraken. However, my understanding is that the Kraken case is filed in a different district. And it, it one perception of this is that the SEC is trying to gamble on getting a better judge. 
And if the judge is more sympathetic to the government and more anti-crypto, then maybe they can get different decisions in different districts, which would allow them to potentially appeal to the Supreme Court uh, to get some you know, ultimate decision about how crypto assets should be treated as securities or non-securities. Any thoughts real quick on the Kraken story? The only observation I have, and I'm just parroting back what people on crypto Twitter were saying, um, people were identifying and noticing that they filed this basically simultaneous with the charges against Binance being announced that they were settled um, and that this action seemed to have come out as almost a response to most of the other government agencies settling with Binance. In fact, they timed their tweet <laughs> um, of the charges to coincide exactly with the beginning of the press conference that other departments were having and that you know lawyers were opining that this was really a deliberate swipe at other agencies for being excluded from the Binance settlement. And it was meant as a sort of interagency middle finger. I'm you know, not sh too sure if that's accurate or not, but that was the opinion that I was uh, reading about. Interesting. Yeah. As I mentioned, the SEC was noticeably absent from settling its charges with Binance. Uh, and so it seems that Gensler's SEC wants to go down swinging on these cases. So it, it does look like the ETF is pretty inevitable. And I think at this point, I mean, from, from everything that I'm seeing, the Coinbase case looks like it's more or less lost for, for uh, the SEC unless it appeals. It, it doesn't seem very likely that the SEC is going to end up looking too good at the end of this you know, series of lawsuits. But speaking of you know, the impending sort of black holes that we're waiting for, we still have yet to see the termination of the Ripple appeal or the Ripple case, and it's more or less inevitable appeal, and the Coinbase case, which you know, probably by... I would guess mid next year, we're probably going to have some resolution on. So there's still a lot of big question marks to be answered for the industry, you know, even putting aside Tether and the stablecoin bill and all that stuff. So anyway, this, this uh, Kraken thing, I, I don't think there's a whole lot interesting here. Um, and I, I'm glad to see that Kraken's going to be fighting it. So the other news this week, and this is a very, very left field from crypto, but this is the news that's been dominating the tech headlines. And I'm sure at this point, everybody knows about it, is the OpenAI drama. And it's tangential to crypto, but it sort of touches crypto in interesting ways. So we're going to talk about it anyway, because whatever, we're a podcast, so we're going to talk about it. So um, just a quick backdrop. OpenAI, the company that creates ChatGPT, uh, it is run by this guy, Sam Altman, who was formerly the president of Y Combinator. Sam Altman was originally, when OpenAI was first formed, he was a board member. He was co-chair of the board. And OpenAI was originally formed, I believe in 2015, as a nonprofit. However, the nonprofit was not able to generate enough uh, donations for them to pursue their goal of building safe AGI. And so they decided to create a for-profit company that had a board that was governed by the nonprofit, which is a very weird structure. You'd almost never see a for-profit company governed by a nonprofit, but that is the way that OpenAI was set up. OpenAI took in a lot of funding and created a bunch of amazing models that we now use every day in the form of ChatGPT and Whisper and Dolly and so on. So uh, on Friday, it was announced that the board had fired Sam Altman very suddenly, nobody had seen this coming. There was no forewarning of any of this. The board had fired Sam Altman. Uh, and the board, for, for what it's worth, was composed of Greg Brockman, who was the C chief product officer, I think? Chief product officer? I think it was, I think it was president. president. Okay. So uh, I believe yeah, okay. it was president. So, so Greg yeah. Brockman, who was president and co-founder, Ilya Suskiver, who was the chief scientist, and then three outside directors. One of them is Adam D'Angelo, co-founder of Quora, uh, and then two EA types who were also on the board. Um, and... The uh, Greg Brockman was the chair of the board. So in one fell swoop, Greg Brockman was removed from the board. Sam Altman was fired as CEO. And they decided to make Mira, the CTO, the interim CEO. Uh, 
And everybody in the world, apparently everyone was told this like minutes before it happened over like a Google meet. And then suddenly all chaos broke loose where everyone was like, oh my God, what the hell? This is close to the end of the, uh, the fiscal day or the, the, the trading day uh, on Friday. And so Microsoft stock suddenly plummeted and everyone was like, wait, what the hell? Like the open AI seems to be in a mutiny right now. Uh, Sam Altman was not aware of this. Uh, everybody got extremely upset, including the investors who wanted to reinstate Sam Altman. The board got terrified that maybe suddenly they might have made a mistake in removing Sam Altman. They claimed that it was because he was not completely forthcoming with the board. Uh, there was a huge drama over the weekend of Microsoft hiring Sam Altman, but then negotiations resuming with the company for uh, uh, Sam to come back. I think 700 of the 750 employees at OpenAI have signed a letter basically saying that they threatened to resign unless Sam Altman is brought back and the board is uh, fired or they can't be fired, but the board resigns. So anyway, right now, everything is in a holding pattern. We don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, it's pretty clear that one way or another, they're going to remain within the Microsoft orbit. But this whole nonprofit board thing has just completely become an enormous clusterfuck. And everybody in tech is now talking about this drama between what many people in tech perceive as accelerationism, which is the Sam Altman, let's move fast, let's break things, and the safetyism or the effective altruist sort of doomer approach of the board members who had no financial stake in the company, but said, hey, we're moving too fast. Assume uh, presumptively, this is not, we don't actually know what the board said in, in substance. Um, and so this has caused a kind of a big culture war to start brewing online. Uh, and of course, Sam Altman, he is famous in crypto because of his affiliation with WorldCoin, of which he is also a co-founder. So that's my big brain dump of what exactly happened and where we are. I'll stop there. Uh, thoughts from you guys. Tom, why don't you go first? You missed the other big crypto bit, which is all the AI crypto tokens have been rallying. They're the best performers this week because everyone now thinks that, oh, we can't trust you know centralized companies, centralized models. We got to decentralized models and, and decentralized inference. And so you know, nothing like a, a, a good narrative to, to, to pop a coin. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have a opinion or insight here that's like too far off of consensus. It seems like this board is like extremely amateur and it, it's like it's OK to make a very bold move if you stick by it. But I mean, within 24 hours, they were already kind of reneging. And I think Ilya said he like regretted the action. So it's like, what, like, what did you not think like two steps ahead of, of what, you know, the action you were about to take and the implications? And so it seems quite bad. But I mean... The big thing is there's been like a narrative vacuum. Everyone sees Sam on Twitter. Um, you know, they see they see Satya, they see one side of the narrative, but the board has been totally uh, AWOL. They they haven't really explained, you know, in more detail specifically why Sam was removed, wh what not being forthcoming with his communications with the board really means. So now everyone's just kind of, you know, creating the, the worst assumptions. I think even the whole safetyism um, sort of culture war trope has been sort of superimposed on this. But I think even Sam himself said, no, it was not about safety or the board said it was not about safety. And so it's just kind of this weird, you know, question mark right now where we don't really know why they tried to remove Sam in, in the first place. I have a lot of friends who work there or maybe don't work there. Unclear based on the letter. They all signed the letter. So they, uh, in fact, I had one friend who actually um, was supposed to start his first day yesterday. Oh, wow. So as, as you can expect, his entire team like quit or quit, you know, whatever this wrote a letter the, threatening like, to quit. quit. I mean, they signed the letter. Yeah, it, I think it's like basically essential personnel only. And if you notice, ChatGPT has been down a lot today. So uh, it, it, I would say that it's showing. Um, but yeah, everyone I knew who works there. And I know some of the personalities involved for a long time. Um, 
I would say, you know, much to Hasib's chagrin, I do agree with the claim that uh, effective altruism is good at killing $100 billion of, of value. Uh, fundamentally, it's, uh, it seems to be they're, they're, they're altruistic in, in terms of giving away value. Listen, hold on, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dispute that real quick before you go on. The, the idea that $100 billion of value is vaporized is obviously nonsensical because Microsoft owns the IP rights to everything that OpenAI produces. And OpenAI, even if they've, the no, the board, the board. By the way, the board has a right to revoke IP if rights. AGI if, if, if AGI is developed, if they deem that AGI is developed, which obviously it's not. For the board, <laughs> yeah, which is obviously not. So yes, it was, at, at this point right now, Microsoft has full rights to everything that uh, all the IP related to GPT four that uh, that they develop. But also, like essentially, what's happening is that Microsoft is absorbing all. The, you know, assuming that the there's no resolution, Microsoft absorbs all the talent. And retains the rights to all the IP at OpenAI. I, no, there's no way they keep all the talent. There's, okay, fine. So I maybe they lose some of the tell talent. You from oh, right, people so I they shed some of the talent. No, there's a fuck ton of people who are like, I'm going to go do something else. I'll go work somewhere else. I'll start a company. There's very few people who are like, I want to work at big Microsoft, uh, especially on the engineering side. I think on the research side, people are more okay with it. But the engineers I know there, it's like very much like, fuck Microsoft. Sure, sure. There. So I will say... I will say there's there don't don't think it's just like ah they didn't acquire it's going to be a explosion and obviously it's going to be one of the biggest uh, events for private market funding that we have ever seen in the sense of like you know when companies IPO oftentimes there's like this huge secondary swing of like people who leave and then start companies and and whatever I I, I kind of think that's really the end state we're going to be in less the whole like get the band together. Yeah, I mean, but that said, that said, to the extent that this, I mean, who loses in this, right? Who is the big loser? Let's let's assume that half the people uh, come over to Microsoft or something. I guess right? like all the existing the, the open AI investors, AI right? Holders. So like Sequoia loses, Kosla loses, Thrive loses. Kosla. Like these are the big losers from this. Uh, this no, no, Thrive didn't buy yet. The, the, Thrive the, bought earlier. No, they, 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 they bought some, earlier and they wanted to buy again at ninety. Thrive, now yeah, they want to buy more, right? So yeah. they're also big investors, okay. which is why they're fighting to like fix everything. So these guys are the big losers if Microsoft ends up becoming the winner. But most of the value in OpenAI is in the brand, the distribution, the IP they've already developed, and the leadership, right? So, and it seems like all of that is going to probably move over intact if Sam Altman is embraced and they start a new org within Microsoft and they have some relative freedom within. Yeah, their... I, I just think I just think I, I think their velocity is going to go down. Oh, for like, sure. Within Microsoft, velocity will go down for sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I think it. I, I think like if I were a the second place, meaning Anthropic, or third place, like Adept or something like that, competitor. This is like the ultimate, like run for the fences, like swing as hard as possible moment, right? Because like you can basically take all their customers in in, in like a week. Um, there's already like reports of people, like there are already tons of open source projects. Actually, I saw a, a nice statistic showing like the number of pull requests that like replace the OpenAI uh, API call with the the with Anthropic or, oh, really? or open source model calls. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. it's actually quite high because people are like back, basically like using as backup. Mm. Um, the business continuity plan live. You can watch it on <laughs> GitHub. <laughs> Is it that easy to switch? It's pretty easy. Like it's easy to switch or the quality, the quality of answer is not going to be as good, yeah. right? Like it, it's more like you can't do multimodal stuff. You can't, what you, you can't do like the voice to text to image yeah. type I mean, stuff. I mean, is just so but far ahead. It, it is, but like, I, I think there are, there are, there are people are already like rushing to, to find the next thing. So, so 
in some ways, I think I, I I think like if the band doesn't get back together in the next like by end of this week, uh, meaning like Sam is back on the board, all the EA people get kind of kicked out. Adam D'Angelo, I don't know, gets in a fight with someone because uh, it sounds like he's the the linchpin of this. Uh, it sounds like he's a linchpin, really. Where 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 did you see that? Well, he's the one. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah, he's the sort of lead antagonist board member. Oh. At I this point, know that. according to public reporting. Yeah. Um, also, my personal experience with him, you know, I find him to be a huge asshole uh, in person. In, in, uh, and I don't usually say that directly about people, but like he's just like a huge asshole. Like I was, I used to write a lot of Quora answers in 2011 and 2012, and I, I went to one of these like top writer things. And I'm like, how the fuck can you make a product that has user generated content and you're a dick to everyone who is making? Free How shit is he a on dick? your site, like fuck you. So that that's like literally when I stopped writing core answers. Was, what uh, what did he do? Anyway, that was he's so he's kind of a very like icy icy demeanor person, mm. and then like very like I'm always right. Like no one else can be right about anything. So like which kind of matches what the media portrayal of the the board vote is right now about him. I think another aspect of this that's interesting from the crypto side is that uh, yes, there's this huge move and all the 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 decentralized AI coins, like things that barely even work, or like you know maybe you're computing 100 gradient steps, but haven't done a real inference yet. Um, but I think the the more the interesting upshot is a lot of AI developers, um, like Andre Carpathy, who's at OpenAI. Well, again, in the whatever in this like Schrodinger at OpenAI state, that it's unclear what I would call all this, was writing about decentralized stuff. You know. I think um, during the crypto bull market, he like wrote a Bitcoin client. And I think the interesting thing is people in AI who are working in AI are suddenly like, okay, I actually care about this notion of ownership of models. Like before it didn't matter. They're just like a oh, big tech will always own it. And I've just noticed the narrative shift amongst people in that world towards having like some more uh, transparent collective ownership of models. And you know, I don't think we're quite, a, it's not going to be obviously decentralized training very soon, but it, there is going to kind of be something that works. And I suspect the next 12 to 18 months in crypto is going to, you're going to get a ton of crap, bad ideas, but there's going to be something that, that sticks. One jab I saw a lot of people on crypto Twitter making was, wow, even Dow governance isn't this bad. And I, I think Nick Carter wrote a, <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> Nick Carter wrote a great, Takedown talking about uh, why we should really discourage innovation in governance, and that's essentially what you know. OpenAI's board of like a nonprofit governing a for-profit and all this stuff. It's it's a governance innovation, and it turned out obviously to go incredibly badly. Ironically, Anthropic actually has the same structure. They have like this weird board of like academics and stuff that they're responsive to, and I have to assume that they copied it from OpenAI because of course they're all OpenAI guys. And it, it looks like, I mean, one, one argument you could make is that, look, almost all governance innovation that we've done has been bad because governance, especially for well-understood corporate things like you know software companies, has just been optimized and optimized and optimized over hundreds and hundreds of years of us trying different things and arriving at this crystallized thing of the C-Corp with a board of directors with fiduciary obligations. And uh, it works really well to avoid really painful, catastrophic, stupid drama like this. And I think in a way, it's like almost like a side indictment of even a lot of the governance innovation that's happening in crypto, which also I'd say has not looked amazing in retrospect. 
but I, I will say one thing that is is worth pointing out is that it is kind of crazy that everyone who was on the board had no skin in the game in the equity company. Like I feel like that the disconnect there was already weird, and then there's also there's, it's also weird that they basically have this like right of first refusal on bunch a lot of things. You know, like this idea that, oh, like if, if we deem AGI exists, then X, like it's like if subjective thing happens, then we can kill everything below in the dependency graph. And it's, I don't know, it, it's very weird. Also, the churn on that board is unreal. I think there was like a board member leaving and joining every nine to 12 months. Yeah. Um, like everyone from Elon Musk to Reed Hoffman. Like if you look at the list, it's actually like it's, it has had a lot of people on it. Clearly has been very contentious. And actually, very few of them have had skin in the game in the the equity company either. So it's like it's been like sort of a well known issue. I guess it's just like yeah, just the, well, it, I'm surprised that I, I'm in, I'm I'm more impressed it didn't. There wasn't any uh, kind of this didn't happen earlier. That's, well, so yeah. remember, like the the nonprofit, the way that OpenAI works is that the for profit company is a capped profit structure, such that. The investors into the for-profit entity can only make 100 times their money, and anything excess to that is actually donated to the nonprofit that governs the board. I, I think this is Sam Altman fundraising magic, saying you can only make 100x your money and I have to stop you there is a great pitch. <laughs> I mean, to, to, to be clear, they're pretty close I, I, to that 100x for I, I the do. first round. No, no, I, I, but I, I, Microsoft has this waterfall structure, right? They get like seventy-five percent or something of the fee of the revenue until they recoup their investment. There's right, like some Azure type credits, of weird and, waterfall. Know, like the investment is not really a dollar yeah. investment, and so on. Yeah, and it isn't done yet either. So, like, I, I, I think this is the problem with 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 board a board structure of this form. Also, is that there's no incentive for the people on the board to actually have the like. You know, if like if Microsoft pulled the compute, the board might be like, this is a this is a, a valid use of the board, right? It's it's sort of right. Compared to FTX, I, I don't necessarily know if I blame the investors because here this was transparently this always, yeah, yeah, right? For sure. In the FTX case, it wasn't even that obvious there was no board to like someone who wasn't maybe. I mean, it should like, have been really obvious close. that there was well, no board. What do you mean? No, 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 no. It should have been obvious if you're doing DD, but I meant to the public. Oh, sure. It wasn't there sure. wasn't this like, oh, clearly there's no Whereas the OpenAI thing, I mean, look, it had the public Elon Musk like rage quit thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, so the, to to um, I think Tom's point of the board itself not really having a voice here, I have been really frustrated that everybody is speculating purely on what uh, basically the the people who are talking are saying, and we haven't heard from Adam, we haven't heard from Helen and Ta Tasha. Elon Musk did just point put post some letter he claims that came yeah I was reading it's through garbage. that but yeah it doesn't it seems kind of nonsensical yeah I, I agree actually oh, it just got deleted okay, good <laughs> oh, really? yeah. well nice. it was a yeah. well so the, I guess what what strikes me is that I'm I'm absolutely positive that if we actually heard from the board we would have a very different picture of Sam Altman because like the story but why haven't they said I, anything? I have no idea I assume that they have no idea how to deal with PR I mean obviously like look at them and also Look, the CEO they hired literally said he's he's quitting unless they give him in 24 hours uh, a, an explanation of why they fired. Oh, I see. Yeah, they, they wouldn't tell Satya. They wouldn't tell Emma. Yeah, like it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Like like this is the worst PR. No, clearly, ever. This is really this is obviously really bad. The the other thing is they're being they're being threatened with lawsuits by some of the biggest fucking players in the world. So I can imagine they are terrified of their whole world's ending if they do the wrong thing, and their lawyers are probably telling them to shut the hell up. And ironically. 
that is the wrong answer. And this is not a place we should be listening to your lawyers. In, in a sort of interesting counterpoint to what we were talking about with Sam. Sorry, Robert, I cut you off. Go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say that, you know, I think Emmett's calculus is pretty simple. I think he's going to be out of a job in two days anyway. Yeah, exactly. He's trying to say that he may as well. At this point, Emmett has been just eviscerated by yeah. everybody who's looking at this. And he, he's just like, what? You would not think that accepting the title of CEO at OpenAI would be bad for your career. <laughs> but Emmett might be the only person to actually face that wrath. The guy does have some some very sus tweets that obviously people yeah, turn yeah, up thinking course, out. Of course, of course. Was- but like you know, yeah, you do, you would you would never expect that this would be quite this brutal in saying yes to like this really amazing opportunity. So I I, I feel bad for him. I mean, that's this is like a pretty shitty. You know, they call a bunch of people and you're like, look, I'm like retired. I like have a kid. I'm kind of out of it. And they're like, but we need you to come and save OpenAI. And he's like, all right, I'll do it. And then, just like a bomb goes what, off. What did his face. first question though be? Why did you fire Sam? Like I can't imagine accepting that job and be like, "Well, you had an issue with the old CEO, but I'm sure everything will be fine with me." Like that—that's yeah. insane. I think he had like two hours. Right, to right. It, it was—it was clearly eleventh hour thing. They—they they were in the same YC batch, which I also thought yeah. was funny. Yeah, but so the so what, what I was going <laughs> to say is that here's what we do know about. Sam of like why why potentially he was fired. So there, there's a lot of speculation that it was about the over commercialization of OpenAI and about this like chat bot store that they were launching with like Laundry Buddy and like talk to me about Chinese recipes and da 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 and like you can sell these different dinky little chat bots. And I think the board was annoyed that like hey I thought we were supposed to be building AGI and instead you're like monetizing Laundry Buddy. Uh, this is why, why are we spending our time on this? Um, but the the more salient thing that seems actually like, I can see why, if I was a board member, I'd be really pissed about this. Apparently, Sam was hobnobbing in the Middle East trying to raise money for a hardware company that was not going to be under the aegis of OpenAI, but was going to be his own separate venture that he was going to run in tandem. So he kind of wanted to do like an Elon Musk thing. And it seems that he was you know, garnering the political clout, the fame, the notoriety, connecting with all these you know, world leaders, and really doing it in a way that he wanted to start. And also this Johnny Ives like AI phone that he wanted to do. It looks like he wanted to do this Elon Musk type thing. But this had been in the news for months. No, the, no, no, or, no, no. If the board, no, 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 no. no. What are you talking about? The, the no, Johnny this, Ives thing, yeah. But like no, he was no, trying no, to raise billions thing. of dollars from people in the Middle East to make a chip. This is brand new. This is brand new. Okay, okay, yeah. The chip, yeah, the foundry part. But but the thing is, all of this stuff had been in the news for a while. I mean, the Johnny Ives thing was like very throwaway. That was not a a. That was not a like concrete. I'm raising money. But they 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 were claiming they were gonna. They claimed they were gonna raise eight billion dollars from SoftBank for that. But like, wasn't it under OpenAI? That, that one had it. It was unclear. The articles were all very right, right, ambiguous. Right. So I can imagine that like the board maybe chastised him when he did that, and they was like, "Oh, okay, whatever." And then he goes to the Middle East. Like we don't know the story, but clearly this has to have been part of it. And if I was on the board, I would be pretty fucking pissed that I'm like, "Hey, you are the CEO of like the fastest growing, most meteoric company in the world, and somehow that doesn't seem to be enough for you, and you want to do all these side gigs and like, especially a chip foundry. Like that is directly related." to what we do at OpenAI. Why wouldn't we have that be under the banner of all the other stuff we do? Why would that be a separate venture that you own? I highly doubt based on the candor of, of some of the things that were said that this was the, the sticking point. I, there's no way it wasn't part of it. No, I, I see how that's a contributing factor. I yeah, think the contributing factor. I, I don't see that it was like the, the put your you know gavel. Yeah, I, I, it, it might have been the, the straw that broke the camel's back, right? When they discovered this and they learned that, hey, he's trying to raise money and like he's actually trying to raise money now after we may have gotten pissed off about the Johnny Ives 
you know, AI phone thing. So anyway, the, the point is that we don't know the story, but there's no way that doesn't figure into it. And there has to have been a broader pattern of behavior that got people pissed off about Sam. So anyway, I, all this is to say right now, I think the story is extremely one-sided. And that feels to me like, um, it feels to me actually we may never really learn the story because the board has been just fucking defenestrated from every single news publication, every single CEO, every single investor in Silicon Valley hates this well, board. I, again, again, Ilya, sign, Ilya signing the letter to quit is also a sign that the board itself is I think Ilya might just be not, weak. I think there's not a honestly, single unit. No, no, when I, you talk about I the think board, that a lot of this comes down to the immense public pressure, seeing people start to quit, seeing like every all these pieces start to fall apart and it's your fault. And the whole but world blames you. What the fuck did they you. expect doing? This? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, what, I, but what like what the fuck did they no expect? No doubt, doing no doubt they fucked up in how they did this. Especially in appointing Emma Cheer, that was such an incredibly bad move rather than leaving Mira to be the CEO. And this is the way they communicate. Oh, it's clearly all of this. But my point is that we still don't know why he was fired. And it seems like the whole tech press is assuming that the answer was nothing really. There was no good reason why he was fired. Humans are really silly and dumb. And I will attribute the board to being silly and dumb. And just watching them act over the last like five days has been so embarrassing, honestly. And I think this goes full circle to like the root of the problem, which is bad governance. Humans are always going to be silly and dumb and make bad decisions and get emotional. I mean, this whole thing about like firing the CEO they just put in place to hire someone else like, you know, a day later because your first CEO was like disloyal to you. I mean, the only reason that these are even problems is because of the corporate governance structure in the first place. And in a normal corporate governance structure, you're going to have humans who are silly and dumb and emotional but they can't blow things up in the same way as they did here. And I actually don't blame the board members individually. I don't blame them collectively. I blame the bad decisions that went into how they set up governance in the first place, because that's the root of this. You have to assume that everybody's going to make really bad decisions in any organization. And you build it to be resilient to that. And you build it to be anti-fragile. And they built the most fragile organization imaginable. And I think that's the root of the problem. Well, well to mind. be fair, to be fair, the organization started with a completely different mission. It really was supposed to be this nonprofit, right? Like, I think the conceit was maybe trying to pull the like, financial slash organizational engineering to make it look like it wasn't the thing that's it started as. Yeah, it started as a nonprofit that became a quote, nonprofit, <laughs> and a way for a bunch of people to make a lot of money. Like, there was all these profit sharing units. And venture capital investors and things that no nonprofit I think in history has ever had. If Virgil Abloh was still alive, I would say he should make the the off-white nonprofit line because that would be like the bestseller <laughs> right now. I, I think actually the, the root of this, I mean, look, I, I agree with you that the governance structure was a experiment and you, you generally don't want to run one of the most important companies in the world with experimental governance. Um, in retrospect, obviously at the time, no one knew this. At the time, people thought it was a crazy moonshot, you know, like one of these X moonshot type companies that, that comes out of Google, you know, that was the vibe of OpenAI back in the day and it became this much bigger thing. And so in some sense, you can't blame them too much because they were trying a crazy thing and it happened to work out. Um, it feels to me like actually, if you look at the composition of the board, as Tarun was saying, there were some experienced operators on the board at one time. 
And we don't know the story of like, why did Reed Hoffman get kicked off? Why did Sam Altman get kicked off? They're all, like, they all, there was so yeah, much why, turnover. Why? Why? What, where did, what contributed to all that turnover? And I have to imagine that it's not because they just got bored of being on the board of the most important, you know, nonprofit that the world is currently seeing in, in the tech world. And so I think that may be the kind of root cause, or at least like if you do the five whys, it may be like the third why, is that there was nobody on the board who actually knew how to call up Satya or how to call up the investors and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. How do you think we should approach it? What's the blah, blah, blah? And like get other stakeholders involved. Whether or not you're a nonprofit, there are other stakeholders that are going to, like they just didn't understand companies, right? Ilya does not understand how companies dynamics work. And these other people, the other three people on the board clearly don't. I mean, I don't know how Adam got this so wrong, but the other two clearly, you know, have no clue. Like they're, they're academics. Well, the other, what's her name? I, I think the suspicion, right, is that Karnofsky, when he left because of his conflict for being on Anthropic, uh, part of Anthropic, like told them to assign someone and then assigned her randomly, even though she like kind of just graduated, whatever. He plans what, a landmine. Her entire career is like, I ran open philanthropy. Great. I, I'm not sure that's exactly what sets you up to be in charge of this rofer on IP rights for this $80 billion company. Yeah. But to Robert's point, this was like a board level thing rather than about any individual except maybe apparently Adam. So anyway, I, look, I, I suspect that the way this all wraps up is that probably Sam comes back by the end of the week. I think more likely than not, Sam comes back by the end of the week. Um, and uh, I believe that's where uh, Polymarket's pricing it. I think it's 75% chance yeah uh, this has been a roller coaster oh, wow. it was like uh, by the way, by the way down, noted, up, noted crypto noted crypto skeptics and haters uh have been really shilling poly market and manifold lately because they're like oh the prediction markets have been more accurate than the news <laughs> i think that's actually been an interesting thing about this whole saga is that somehow the last year's events overall have somehow made people trust prediction markets more uh, like I certainly look at them, okay, not daily, but like once a week now, and I never really looked at them before. So like, I, I feel like that that's a crypto aspect to this. That's very interesting is that uh, I think these prediction markets for these kind of crazy events have been, you know, really growing. Like, you know, before it used to be prediction markets really only had all of their volume around U S mm. elections. And there was like nothing, but we've had like a kind of bonanza year, like last two years, basically. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it's been a, it's been an insane news week. I'm supposed to be on vacation for Thanksgiving, and it just feels like I've just been like glued to my phone, following all the insanity. We we missed a few big big things. Uh, we we missed Argentina electing Javier Millet, yep. uh, who's who loves that's, Bitcoin. That's significant. That's significant. We we, there's get there's to a that. lot of stuff that next we week yeah, on the tropic stuff that we weren't able to get to. Um, we'll hopefully get to, uh, I, I would assume that maybe next week will be a slower news week because of Thanksgiving, but maybe not. We'll be back with more next week. In the meantime, uh, enjoy the soap opera as it continues to play out with open AI and, um, thankful to be at the end of this Binance thing. And I think as an industry, we can finally move on. So until next time, thanks everybody. Thanks.